Okay, we're in a series. Everybody ready? Say, oh yeah. We're in a series called The Five Gifts of Jesus, and it comes from Ephesians 4.8. Put it on the screen, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep getting it until you really, really, really get it. Uh, when Jesus left earth, he didn't just you know, leave and say, you know, do what you want to and we'll be okay. He left a vision, which is the church, his body, his bride, and he gave certain people gifts to oversee and unite the church and grow the church. And that is pastors, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers. And if you put all this, uh, the sermons up there on the screen, you'll see the titles of them. There they are. The first five, of course, we covered the gifts. We covered the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Then I'm going back, and I'm kind of preaching the same subject, but in a different way to help you get it even better. We did the apostolic calling, how to prophesy, and uh, the evangelistic witness. Today in part nine, for your notes, pull out your pens, and I want you to write this down. We're going to talk about the good pastor. The good pastor. Okay, by a show of hands, how many of you think that I am a good pastor? Raise your hand. Okay, every one of you that raised your hand got it wrong. If you didn't raise your hand, I no longer like you, but you did get it right, okay? There is no such thing as an earthly good person. And I know we use that word good in our English vernacular all the time. This was good. That was good. You know, you're doing a good job and all that. You can do good, but you are not a good person. And I don't know if anyone's ever told you that or not. Even your righteous deeds and your own strength are like filthy rags, the Bible says. Your good deeds are. Mark 10, 18 says, no one is good, only God. Only God is good. And so if the word that we use to describe God is good, and that is an attribute of God, and he's good all the time, and he's always good, everything he does is good, every second of the day is good, then how can you say you're good, or how can I say I'm good? If we just took the thoughts that you thought last week, right, we just, just your thoughts, not even your actions, not even your words, not even your motives, just your thoughts, and we put them on the screen, just your thoughts last week, how many of those would be selfish thoughts? How many of those would be prideful thoughts? How many of those would be fearful or judgmental or critical thoughts? More than a hundred? More than a thousand? Okay, we're not good people, but we do have a good God. And so the word pastor in the Bible, in the English Bible, is only in there one time, and that's in Ephesians 4, our main scripture for the series. But every other time, the word pastor is the exact same word in the Greek as the word shepherd. Every single time is the exact same word as shepherd. And so if Jesus, uh, we already talked about how Jesus is our apostle, prophet, evangelist. He is the gospel. Uh, you know, he is the good teacher. He's also a good pastor, a good shepherd. Now, um, if Jesus is a shepherd, a pastor, and he's good, the number one way that the church is depicted in the Bible is that of a flock. Now, personally, like in the New Testament where it says the church is a, uh, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, but the most popular depiction of the church in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is that we are a flock. We're not a flock of Canadian geese. If we were, I would run over every single one of you in my truck and not think twice. Sorry. I, li I like cats better than Canadian geese. I'm just telling you, okay? That's saying a lot. Oh, praise the Lord, somebody! got delivered and so so okay so we are the flock we're a flock of sheep Jesus is our shepherd and in John 10 11 he says this I am the good shepherd that is the exact same word as pastor exact same word in the Greek the good pastor the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep here's my burden for today's sermon my burden is that you and anyone watching everybody in every church in the world stops focusing on the earthly pastor and starts focusing on their heavenly pastor 
Because this pastor might not be perfect, but you have a perfect pastor. And no matter what church you go to or what earthly pastor you choose, my prayer is that wherever you go, you focus more on your good shepherd than you do your earthly shepherd. Because he has things I don't have. He can do things I cannot do. I'm a little bit of a conduit, but he's the one you should focus on. Psalms 100 verse 3 says, We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. You might be part of Solid Rock. You might go to First Baptist Church. Whatever you do, it doesn't matter. You are part of the pasture of Jesus. Let that be your focus in life. Matthew 2, 6, For out of Bethlehem will come a ruler who will shepherd or pastor my people. Now, John 10, where we get the I am the good shepherd, that whole chapter is one that over and over talks about Jesus is the shepherd, we're the sheep. He's the shepherd, we're the sheep. Um, the scripture in John 10, 10 that says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Y'all know that scripture, right? You can pull that out and just use that scripture, and it's true, because the thief does come to do that. But if you take that scripture in context of John 10, 10, the thief is actually trying to pull you out of your pasture. He tries to pull you out of your church, and he does it by you not focusing on your good shepherd, right? Okay. So I want to make sure you understand. Um, do you think that the devil knows the Bible, yes or no? I think he knows it better than a lot of Christians do. It's sad, but he's also been around a lot longer than most of y'all. I don't know, there was a sauce. Okay, but anyway, he's been around a long time, okay? So if the devil knows the Bible, he knows that Matthew 26, 31 says, if you strike the shepherd, the sheep of the flock will scatter. I want to tell you something, and, 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 and the focus is not going to be on me after when I start my points, but I want you to know, whatever demons you battle, whatever flesh patterns you have, whatever the enemy comes against you with, pride, fear, insecurity, um, whatever it is, please know that he comes against pastors ten times harder because he knows he, he can affect your life if he can hurt my life. And it happens a lot in churches all the time. And that's when sheep scatter because they're focusing on this shepherd rather than that shepherd. I want to ask you, and I actually want you to answer to see what your answer is. What do you think in the United States right now the average tenure is uh, for a pastor? In the United States, in other words, if a pastor starts a church or if he's sent to a church or if he's hired by a church or if he's moved from one church to the other, what do you think the national average of a pastor's tenure is uh, and this was um, this is actually before COVID. It's actually lower now. This was taken a few years before COVID. The national average of a pastor's tenure, in other words, how long he's at a church, how long do you think it is? 16 months. In 2008, it was 18 months. It's gone down to 16, and they haven't taken that survey after COVID yet. That's in America. Why do you think that is? Because the devil attacks the shepherd more than anybody. <laughs> If you got in my mind for two minutes, you'd probably want to kill yourself. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. So the enemy knows the Bible. Now, um, I want to read you 18 qualifications for an earthly pastor. It's in the Bible. I'm going to put the scriptures up and I'm going to read it. There are 18 qualifications for an earthly pastor. What I want you to realize is your heavenly pastor is perfect in all of these qualifications all of the time. Your earthly pastor is not. 16 of the 18 have to do with character traits. There's only one ability that a pastor needs in the Bible. There's 16 character traits, one ability, and then one really special thing that I'm going to show you. Okay, but let me read them to you so we can go over it. Oh, by the way, before I read it, take it off, take it back. This is not only the qualifications for a pastor, it's also the qualifications for elders. It's also qualifications for Christians. In fact, everything that a pastor is supposed to strive for is actually everything that 
all Christians are supposed to strive for. It'd be like saying, well, if you're going to be the president, you can't cheat on your taxes. Well, no Americans should cheat on their taxes. You, you understand the difference. Okay, so I want you to think about that. Um, Titus 1.6, have one wife. 1 Timothy 3.4, have submissive children. God help us. Titus 1.7, be a faithful steward. Titus 1.7, be humble. 1 Timothy 3.3, gentle. 1 Timothy 3.3, nonviolent. 1 Peter 5.3, non-greedy. 1 Timothy 3.2, hospitable. Titus 1.8, love what's good. 1 Timothy 3.2, self-control. Titus 1.8, upright. Titus 1.8, be holy or set apart. 1 Timothy 3.6, spiritually mature. 1 Timothy 3.7, respected. 1 Peter 5.3, an example. Now, John 10, 1 through 7, Ephesians 4 says, this is the qualification that is not for, um, not for regular Christians, j just pastors. They have to be appointed by God. They have to be called by God, not call themselves and not everybody think, oh, you're such a good pastor. But there needs to be an obvious calling of God on their life. And then the only ability that they need, that also elders need, but not every Christian, is uh, Titus 1.9, be able to teach, be able to teach. So here's the point I'm trying to make. I'm not a good pastor, biblically. No matter how hard I try, I will not be a good pastor because no one is good but God. But I can try my best. But my goal is to always teach you not about me, but to teach you about your, shepherd, your heavenly pastor. Because a lot of times we want to focus on the earthly. we got to focus on the heavenly. Um, I also want to say this, uh, this past week I went to a Ravens game. I know today's um, football Sunday, whatever you call it, Jersey Sunday, yeah, yeah, blah, blah. So last week I went to a Ravens game. I went because it was Mark's birthday. My wife and I went with him, and that's what he wanted to do for his birthday, and, you know, whatever, it's football. And, um, but when I was watching it, I realized something very unique, very special. And I, I don't know if it was from God or not, but I said to the, my wife and Mark, I said, um, I could be a quarterback. I said, I, I could be a quarterback for the NFL. And they said, why? And I said, because I think really quick. And I noticed that, you ha that, that, that when they're out there on the field, you've got to be able to think quick if you're a quarterback. And then they let me know there's other qualifications, like you have to be able to play football. <laughs> you have to be able to catch. You have to be able to throw. You know, there's other things. And you have to know all the positions and all kind of bunch of stuff. But Mark did say to me, he said, you know what? If you were the worst quarterback in all NFL history, you'd still make a million dollars a year. I said, then I can do it for that. I can figure out a way to, you know, okay. Okay, so I might drop the ball a lot, but here's the point is, is, um, is God called the pastor to play the quarterback? Is he called him to be a pastor? Let's start with that and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll build on that. God is your perfect quarterback. He never drops the ball. He never misses a, a throw. He always he never gets sacked. He's the one we have to focus on. And Hebrews 13, 20 says, Our Lord Jesus is the great shepherd. Not just a good shepherd. He's a great shepherd. He's a great pastor. He's a great pastor. He is the one you should always, always focus on. He will lead you. He'll protect you. He'll guide you. He is the center of your life, not people. And honestly, this doesn't just affect, you know, in churches, even in life, in, in when it comes to the president. Your focus doesn't need to be on who the president is. It needs to be on who your Lord is. It doesn't need to be on who your boss is. It needs to be on who your Lord is. We get so caught up in all the earthly stuff, we miss what God's trying to do through the heavenly things. So I have three points for you today. They all start with the letter P, and they're found in Psalm 23. So if you want to open your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 23. Uh, I did a whole series on Psalm 23 last year. There's some things I'm going to point out today that I never pointed out in that. And these are the things, these are the benefits that you get when you focus daily on your heavenly pastor. Okay, these are benefits you get when you focus on your heavenly pastor. And as your earthly pastor, my responsibility is to teach you these things about him. Okay, so point number one for your notes is this. He provides. 
and he provides through his word. Psalm 23, 1 through 3, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. I'll never lack. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads, everybody say leads. That's an important point. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Now, just so you know, no matter how much you email me your problems, I can never restore your soul. I just want, no matter how many problems you tell me you have and what you're going through, I love you. I can never restore your soul, ever. And to anyone else you're complaining to and you're telling all your problems to, it's great to get a counselor, but nobody can restore your soul but the Good Shepherd. Uh, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Okay, one of the reasons that you attend church is this. So you can sit beside the still waters in worship and so you can eat from the green pastures of the word. That's why you come to church. It says there that he can restore our soul. The word restore there in Hebrew has a, root, a Hebrew root word that means this, to return to the point of departure. In other words, in life, we're going in life, and something happens, somebody hurts us, we go through something, and our heart starts to go in this direction over here through pain or unforgiveness or bitterness. The good shepherd is the only one that can take your heart and bring it back to the way it was before you went through that situation in life. The way it happens is, is you have to get in the Word. And it's very important that your earthly shepherd always teaches you the Word more than anything else. Jeremiah 23, 3 says, God says, I will set up shepherds who will feed them. And listen, when you get fed, you won't be lacking. You won't be lacking. Now, if you're here today, and the only time you eat spiritual food is from this shepherd, then the only time I'm going to allow you to eat natural food is on Sundays after church. If the only time you eat from the Word is from me on Sunday morning, then the only time I'm going to allow you to eat for your physical stomach is Sunday after church. That's all you get. Now some of you are like, well, that'd be great. I'd lose weight and everything would be so much better. No, you'd be an anorexic Christian. Every time you eat physically, you need to eat spiritually. If you eat three times a day physically, you better eat three times a day spiritually. And I don't mean a big 30-minute sermon. I mean you open up your Bible, you get one proverb, and you think about it for 30 seconds. Put the Bible behind your toilet, and every time you go to the throne, go to the throne and just pull it out. And just one scripture, get in your mind. You can quote Psalm 23 if you want to. You can do it 10 times a day. But you can't, you can't starve yourself spiritually. Um, I had a buddy, and we're not really buddies anymore. We kind of are. But years ago, he's about 20 years older than me. Uh, he started a church. His church is huge, five, 6,000 people. He retired now, but, you know, big pastor. And I never heard him preach, but we were good friends. And we'd, you know, go on trips together and stuff. And so I thought, I want to invite him to come speak at Solid Rock. And I did, and I was so excited. And I thought, man, this is the greatest preacher ever. He's got a church of five, 6,000 people. And he's coming to preach at Solid Rock. And he came and preached, and he didn't use one single scripture. And I went in the back room afterwards and I said, what did you do? He said, what are you talking about? I think it went great. You didn't use any Bible. He says, well, I think I quoted one scripture. I said, they didn't come to hear from you. They came to hear you talk about God. They came to hear you talk about his word. They came to get fed from you. Not to hear a few stories about your life. If we want to hear good wisdom, we'll watch Dr. Phil or something, right? We come to feed off the word. Now, for your notes, I want you to write this down. There are five ministries of Jesus. I'm going to read it to you in Luke 4.18. These five ministries of Jesus is something you should get every time you open your Bible. 
In fact, let me say this, not should. Every time you open your Bible, you will receive one of these five things out of the Word of God every time you spend time with Jesus and His Word. And I'm going to prove to you from a parallel scripture in the Old Testament that these are five things that every earthly pastor should be teaching you every Sunday morning. Okay, so stay with me. Here's what I'm doing. Luke 4.18, Jesus said this. Now, the words in parentheses are my points. That's not out of the Bible, okay? He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That is spirit baptism, baptizing in the Holy Spirit. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. That's salvation. Whether you're saved or not, it's good to constantly hear how we're saved by grace through faith and not works. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. That's emotional healing. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recover to the sight of blind, that's physical healing. To set the oppressed free, that is deliverance from the demonic. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Okay, every time you open up the word, one of these five things, your shepherd will feed you. He will, it, he'll provide one of these five things every single time. Now, let me show you a parallel scripture in the Old Testament that says, this is what I should be doing every time I come up to this pulpit, is to teach you about one of these five things. Ezekiel 34, 2-4, the Lord says, and he's fussing at shepherds. The shepherd should take care of the flock. Here's how they take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, that's spirit baptism, or healed the sick, physical healing, or bound up the broken, emotional healing, or brought back the strays, that's deliverance referring to Israel that was in bondage, and that's what happens under demonic spirit. We're still children of God, but we can be in bondage, deliverance, or search for the lost. That's salvation. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for the beasts of the field. And the beasts of the field in Genesis and when Satan was tempting Jesus refers to de demonic spirits as well. Every one of these, every single sermon you ever hear should have the Word of God proclaiming one of these five things into your life. Every single time. Now, when it comes to sheep, you cannot drive sheep like cattle. You have to lead sheep. Sheep are led by the voice of the shepherd. Okay, let me, I'm, I think this is going to be the greatest thing you're going to hear today. Years ago, this pastor back in the 80s or 90s, before he went into ministry, he decided to go to Israel for a year and just live and see where Jesus walked and all that. He spent a few months living out in the wilderness of Israel with some shepherds. They lived in a little shack home, you know, and they, uh, this one shepherd had about 1,500 sheep. And so every few days, the shepherd would, would take his sheep and lead them down to what they call the lake country, where there's these still waters and these green pastures. And the way the shepherd would do it is he'd walk out of his house and he'd make a sound with his voice, like, yeah, 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 or something like that. I don't know what it was, but, you know, I'm reading it. I'm, I didn't, maybe he'd say, row, row. I don't know what the sound was. Something with his voice. Like, maybe he wanted a dog. I don't know. Maybe was, he whistled. Whatever he did. His 1,500 sheep would lift up their head and they'd start to follow the shepherd. And they'd walk about an hour or so to this lake country. When they got there, and this pastor was seeing all this for the first time, when they got there, there was already about 15,000 to 20,000 sheep there and about a dozen to a dozen and a half shepherds who were hanging out under the shade of this tree. And the shepherds would bring food and bread, and they'd sometimes share, share drinks and stuff. And uh, they'd hang out for several hours while their sheep ate and drank from the still waters and the green pastures. Whenever one of the shepherds was ready to leave, and all these 20,000 sheep, they're all just bundled all together. This one shepherd, he'd say, you know, I got a two-hour journey and the sun's going down, so I need to go first. So he'd stand up and he'd make the sound of his voice and he'd say, you know, yeah, 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 whatever it was. And his 1,500, 2,000, 1,000 sheep, they'd lift up their heads and they would go through all these other sheep and they would start to follow that shepherd and they'd go home. Then about 30 minutes later, the next shepherd, he'd stand up, he'd make the sound of his voice, you know, whatever. And then his sheep, they'd lift up their head. And they'd follow and follow. And the pastor learned something very important that day. He learned because no sheep got mixed up with the other sheep. 
At the end of the day, all of this guy, the shepherd he was with, his 1,500 sheep, those were his sheep, and they, none of them got mixed up because sheep don't follow sheep unless they don't know the sound of the voice of the shepherd. The only time a sheep would follow a sheep is when they don't know the voice of the shepherd. And no matter what church you go to, you can, you know, someone can say, come visit, follow one sheep to another church, one sheep, whatever you do. Whatever. You need to make sure you're listening to the voice because the shepherd will lead you. Whether he leads you to a different church, stay this, whatever it is, got to learn the voice of the shepherd. Now, here's the thing. John 10, 4 says the sheep follow him because they know his voice and recognize his call. Sheep don't follow sheep. They follow the shepherd. And you're really good at this. You just don't know it yet. In fact, let's take a test. I think that y'all are so good at recognizing people's voices. So I'm going to play a voice clip. Don't answer right away because some people are a lot some people process differently than I do. So I want everybody to think about it, and then when I, I give you the signal, you can all announce whose voice it is, okay? Okay, so don't answer right away. Just listen, okay? Play the first one. Whack one down, and another mole pops up. And you whack another one down, and another one pops up somewhere else. Who's that? Well, that's the way it is when we're in the behavior. Y'all didn't, who is that? Y'all stole the answer from somebody. Not everybody, okay, next one. I don't hold grudges against anybody. Who's that? Not everybody knew that voice. Let's try another one. Ship between a writer, who's myself, Forrester, who's a kind of mix between uh, J.D. Salinger and uh, William Burroughs. Who's that? In the Bronx. And, uh, yeah, I thought y'all do better than this. Writer, the second service is going to do so good. Y'all don't know who that is? Who is that? That's Sean Connery. You're making my point not really work as well as I thought it was going to work. Let's try another one. You always want to be underestimated by your adversaries. He consistently benefited by being underestimated. Who's that? Bill Clinton. Well, y'all definitely aren't going to get this one. Okay, play this one. We would be calling him every day oh. to be an expert on every subject. Then I invited him over for dinner. Best dinner guest ever. Because you can probe Who's his brain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, y'all aren't gonna get this one at all. Go ahead. I like to go out and sit down and eat. Like I like to go shopping. I like to be Cardi B. I got one more for you. You have failed me for the last Who's that? Did anybody, who said Darth Vader? You got it wrong, it's James Earl Jones. Okay, well the point was supposed to be <laughs> the key to the shepherd leading you is you hearing his voice. The key to you knowing his voice is to constantly spend time in his word. If you want to know his, and listen, the word, his voice in the word has to be louder than your feelings, has to be louder than your emotions, has to be louder than your friends, has to be louder than Facebook, has to be louder than movies, has to be louder than social media. It has to be the loudest and most obvious voice in your life. But if you don't spend time listening to it, you won't be able to recognize it for him to lead you. Now that's a good point, isn't it? Okay, number two is this, he protects. 
and he protects us through his word. Psalms 23, 4 through 5, we're still going with this. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, here's why the rod and the staff comforts us, because it's not to beat us. Jesus was already beaten for us. It's to beat the enemy. Uh, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. And there's plenty of it because my cup is running over. Some people call that waste. God calls it overflow. Okay, do you see the word for you are with me? I don't fear evil for you. That word for is a preposition, which means they can be substituted for the word because. So you could actually read, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil because you are with me. Jesus is not on the sidelines cheering you on in life. He is with you every single second of every single day. And if you'll spend time and recognize that, he will empower you to do what he's called you to do. How many of you in here have ever served in the military? Okay, well, how many of you served in the military and actually saw a battlefield? We're in the, okay. And I actually could prove to you biblically that people who served in the military have higher faith uh, as Christians than, than the average Christian. Even Jesus said that. But anyway, so a battlefield. Imagine a battlefield. There's, it's bloody. There's bullets. There's grenades going off and all this. And all of a sudden you look, and in the middle of the battlefield, there's a table. And there's a white tablecloth. And there's candles and flowers. And Jesus is just sitting there saying, come and sit down. He said, Jesus, I got problems. I got to deal with this. I got enemies. I got all these fears. He said, no, no, I'll take care of that. You come and sit at the table. And a lot of times our stress in life comes because we're not sitting at the table with Jesus during the difficult times of life. Imagine 20-foot angels serving you food while all these bullets and grenades and everything's going off. That's where we're supposed to be every day. Uh, contrary to your arrogant, incredibly arrogant thoughts, you cannot provide or protect yourself. You cannot provide or protect for your family. That's not your job. Your job is to obey God. His job is to provide and protect. If you tithe and use wisdom and you work, he'll provide. See, you obey. When it comes to protection, you pray the word over your life and over your family. The, the first time I realized that I cannot protect my children uh, was when Asher was uh, three months old. You know, he had a spinal cord malformation. And we're MUSC, and he's slowly dying right there before us. And in that, I just, you know, screaming at God and mad at the world and how could this happen? I said, God, I can't protect them. I can't stop this malformation from growing. I can't, I, I can't, I can't heal them. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And just as sweet as you can imagine, the voice of the Lord said, I can. I can. Well, what do I do? You just pray the word. You get the word out. Let the word cover. The word protects. The word restores. The word heals. I can't do it in my own strength. I can be a conduit. I'm going to be, it says in uh, Psalms 46, verse 7, the Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies, protects us. Psalms 91, 11, God will order his angels to protect you. And here's how they do it. Watch this. Psalms 103, 20, his strong and mighty angels are ready and able to fly at his bidding. Quick to respond to the voice of his word. It's always his word. You know, every time an angel showed up, uh, the first thing the angel said in the Bible was, don't be afraid. Even to Mary, the mother of Jesus, the first thing, don't be afraid. Why would they say that? Because they're strong, they're intimidating, they're huge, they're warriors, they're powerful. They protect, they guard. 
When we, I can't tell you the thousands of times we prayed the word over our children and said, Lord, have your angels do this and move the wrong influence out of the way when they're at school and, and push the right influence closer to them and protect them in their car and protect them when they're in college, Lord. And you pray the word, you pray the word. If the angels of God were little fat, chubby babies with wings and a harp, they wouldn't say, don't be afraid. They'd say, don't laugh, you know? <laughs> They're huge, but the word, the word, the word. Um, if you decide to take on the responsibility to protect and provide for your family, it'll constantly stress you out and you'll feel like a failure. You have to trust God with that stuff. Okay, you have to trust God. Uh, in Matthew chapter 12, uh, there was this man with a withered hand and Jesus healed him. Only problem was he healed him on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees got mad and said, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, can't work on the Sabbath. No work on the Sabbath. Matthew 12, 11, in response to that, Jesus said this, if you had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't you pull it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Verse 13, the man reached out his hand and it was restored and healthy. Here's what I want you to see. It is not work for Jesus to heal. It's not work for him to provide. It's not work for him to protect. It's not work for him to restore. It's just, just like you can blink your eyes, Jesus can heal, protect, do supernatural things. It's, it's easy. Here's another thing I want you to see. If you have fallen into a pit today and you feel like you're being attacked all around, spend time with your heavenly shepherd and he'll pull you out. And it's not work for him to pull you out. If somebody threw you into a pit and it's their fault, like Joseph, threw you in the pit, He'll pull you out. If you dug the hole yourself, he'll still pull you out of the pit. And I've shown you this before, but our life sometimes look like, looks like this. Does that look like any of y'all's life at all? <laughs> He'll pull you out over and over. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've watched that. And I just, I have these reflections of my past from childhood to the present, you know. Okay, point number three for your notes is this. He promises in his word. This is something your, your earthly pastor will never be able to do for you. I can teach you the word, but it's the promise from God that will bring it to pass. Uh, Psalms 23, 6, surely or I, I give you my word, or I promise you, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, every day, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, the house of the Lord, normally the house of the Lord refers to church. This one actually refers to heaven. It's eternal life. Although sometimes when you're a child, you feel like you're going to be in church all of your life. You know, you're told to be quiet. Like that guy, he brought his son to church, and they were walking in the hallway, and they were looking at a plaque, and the little boy said, Daddy, what's the plaque for? He said, that's to, to honor all the men and women who died in the service. The little boy said, was it the 9 o'clock service or the 11 o'clock service? Which one, which one did they go in? Okay, so you're not going to be in church forever. This is it's talking about, it's talking about eternal life, it's talking about heaven. But um, here's my question. How can God promise, because you know, he can't lie. The Bible says that Satan's the father of all lies. So if Jesus lied, then Satan would be his father. So how can he promise us goodness every day when we're not good? So I already established at the very beginning of the sermon, I'm not a good pastor. 
you're not, we're not good. We can do good, but we, we are not good people, okay? In fact, as I was studying, I prayed, and I said, Lord, and I thought it was going to take like a few hours. It took 30 seconds. I said, Lord, show me some of the sins I committed last week. And I thought, you know, it'll take a few hours for me to think of some. In about 30 seconds, here's what I got. You know the Ten Commandments, right? So my son Logan, uh, he's 26, 27, a beautiful wife and children, and he has a truck that's nicer than my truck. When I was his age, I drove a three-cylinder Metro, right? He's got a truck nice than mine, but he also just bought himself a 2022 a Corvette, $90,000 Corvette, and it's, guess what color it is? No. Bright orange. Yes, it is. He drove it by, so I coveted. Then the Bible says, thou shalt not steal. Well, I, I married Becca and Jonathan two days ago, and I needed a pen for the marriage license. And I ran into the hotel and asked the concierge. I said, can I borrow a pen? I promise I'll bring it back. That pen is in my truck. <laughs> then the Bible says, don't use the Lord's name in vain. What it actually refers to is don't say anything that causes people to not see you as a Christian. I was on the flight to Baltimore, and I got my, my scriptures, tattoos on my arm. And um, I, was, I fell asleep, and I'm in the aisle, and I was wearing my sliders, so my toe was exposed. And the guy in the cart comes by with the drinks, and I was having a bad dream. I was asleep and having a bad dream, and I have not said this cuss word since the 90s. D-A-M-N, you know? And all of a sudden, I, the, he runs over my toe, and I said, ah! And I said it, and the plane's full of people. There's not a single empty seat. And so I'm so, I said, that's okay, it's okay, it's okay. So there's that. Um, then, let's see what else I did. I have a whole list. This came to me in 30 seconds. Oh, then Mark asked me if I had fun at the football game, and I said yes, so I lied. <laughs> it, was, it was nice, but it's hot, and you're watching football, and why wouldn't you want to watch it in the air condition of your home where you can change the channel? I don't understand that. But anyway, then I missed church last Sunday, so I didn't honor the Sabbath because I was in Baltimore. Then my mom comes over and, I, you know, talking about feeding my dogs while I'm gone, and she fusses at me. I said, Mom, shut your mouth. So I, I know, I know, I know. Oh, that's the one y'all don't like? That's the one? I'm going to give you the microphone and put you up here next Sunday, and you tell me what you did. So last Sunday, I broke, last week, I broke six of the Ten Commandments. Now let's go back to that first question. How many of y'all think I'm a good pastor? Raise your hand. Okay. How in the world can he promise me eternal life and goodness when that's just one week of my life? It's because of a word, and you want to write it down, it's the word impute. It's an accounting word, and it means to put in one's account. And God gave me this idea. It's like the word Venmo we use. To Venmo from one account to another account. Second Corinthians 5.19 God was in Christ 2,000 years ago, reconciling the world. Oh, listen, not the Christians, the world. The, 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 the Hindus, the Muslims, the atheists, the rapists, the murderers, the world to himself. Not Venmoing, not putting, not transferring, not putting their sins to them. For he made Jesus who knew no sin. He transferred the whole world's sin, past, present, and future. Everything you're ever going to do next week, next year, 20 years, all the sin's been taken care of on the cross 2,000 years He's Venmoed it all into the account for Jesus so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So listen, this is the best news you'll ever hear, and this is why it's so easy to win people to Jesus. All the sin's been taken care of. Nobody goes to hell for sin. Nobody. All of your sin. All of your sin, 
you don't even, you, you, you need to ask forgiveness, but for your sin to be taken care of, it's already taken care of by grace. If you had to do something for that, it wouldn't be grace. All your sins are taken care of. So how do we get to heaven? Why do people go to hell? Why do go to heaven? Okay, for you to believe in Jesus, then all of his righteousness gets Venmoed to your account. The sin's already been Venmoed out. It, if, if something else had to be done, like a phrase, or so, then that means we'd have to do something for us to be. No, no. It's already been done. It's 100% grace, 0% anything else. 100% grace. 2,000 years ago, every sin was Venmoed out and put under Jesus. Now, once I believe in him, then all of his perfect righteousness gets Venmoed out of his account and put into my account. And that's how I go to heaven. Nobody's in hell for sin, and nobody's in heaven for because they didn't do you know wrong things. People are in hell because they did not believe in the one who could Venmo the righteousness into their account. So if that's the case, then why does he need to lead us in paths of righteousness if we're already righteous? Here's why. Psalms 32, 2. Blessed is the man whom the Lord does not Venmo or impute sin. When I kept silent, watch this, my bones, when I didn't confess and take it to Jesus, it didn't hurt him. It hurt me. My bones wasted away. I acknowledged my sin to you, and, for, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Okay, my sin does not affect God's relationship with me. It affects my relationship with him. Because when you don't take it to Jesus, even though he's already dealt with it, when you don't take it to him, it affects how you see yourself, it affects how you see others, and it affects how you see God. When you're judgmental towards somebody, you're, you're, you're seeing yourself as better than them. And you're, when you're offended, you're living in sin if you've got offense in your heart. All the, okay, he's taking care of the sin, but if you want him to lead you down paths of righteousness so you don't have to be weighed down by your sin, then you take it to him and repent and let him help you grow. You, you understand the difference, right? I need to make sure you understand this. He leads you down paths of righteousness so you don't have to be weighed down all the time by sin. But if you do sin, bring it to him so your bones don't waste away. Uh, grace, it, grace does not affect how he sees us, but when we fall, it affects how we see him. You with me? Okay. I'm closing. Psalms 23, 6 says this. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I'll dwell in heaven forever. That word follow, uh, that's not the best English word. That's the King James word. The best and most, most uh, um, accurate English word is the word chase. And actually, if you really want to look at the root, it's actually a football term. It's to tackle. So for those of you in here that have been running from God, it is not his condemnation that's been chasing you. It is not his um, wrath. It is not his judgment that's after you. It's his goodness and mercy and eternal life that has been trying to tackle you. And if you'll just stop running, he'll tackle you with that every single day of the rest of your life and for all of eternity. Just stop running. Um, the reason that we can have all of this through the Good Shepherd and heaven is because our shepherd became a sheep. Isaiah 53, 6-7, last scripture. We all like sheep. No, let's just, okay. Has everyone in this room gone astray? Bible says we all fall, right? Romans 3, 23, we all fall. Proverbs 24, 16 or 17, a righteous man falls. We all. Let me ask you this. Has everybody in this room turned your own way? Some of us just last week, right? 
We've all turned. Yet God laid on Jesus the sin or the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep about to be sheared. Now, this is powerful. Yet he never even opened up his mouth. There's a, 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 a Christian, uh, an American Christian cultural thing where we think when we're upset, we should go tell somebody, right? That's great if you have a counselor. And if there's something you need to work on in your own life, yes, yeah, seek help. But when you're upset about another sheep, if there was ever a time that a sheep was justified to talk about another sheep, it was right in this moment. If there was ever a time a sheep could say, you know what, it wasn't my fault, and it was all them, it'd be right there. Yet this sheep opened not his mouth. I think your life would be so much better if you would spend every day focusing and talking to your good shepherd and all that he can provide for you. All he can, he's the one that can provide. He can protect. He has promise. It's all about him. And if we would get our focus off of what's going on around us and focus on what's going on above us, everything would change in life. Um, here's what I want to do to close. If you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that is the altar call today. And, you know, I'm not an evangelist, so I'm not, this isn't my anointing or forte to lead people to salvation. But as a saint, I can do it. If Jesus is not the Lord of your life and you want him to be your good shepherd, everybody bow your heads right now. Lord, in the name of Jesus, if there's anyone in this room who does not know you <clears throat> as the great shepherd, as the perfect provider, as the powerful protector, as the promise keeper. If they don't know you as their savior, as their savior, right now I want you to stand to your feet. I'm not gonna embarrass you, but man, when you love the Lord, it's, there's not, no reason to ever shy from it. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you just stand up right now and we're all going to pray a prayer together. But I want you to acknowledge it by standing to your feet. Anybody in here? I want to make sure every one of the sheep at Solid Rock are going to heaven and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And he says, if you don't acknowledge me before men, I, I can't acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. True love is the acknowledgement. Okay, everyone in this room just repeat on me and say, Lord Jesus, I need your righteousness. I can't get to heaven without you. I put my faith in you. I put my trust in you. And I want you to lead me every single day for the rest of my life and in eternity. I give you my heart. I am imperfect. I'm flawed. I'm messed up. But I believe that you will take what I have and change me from the inside out. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give them a hand clap. Everybody stand here.